Ruth chapter 3. Then her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her daughter, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be good for you? Is not Boaz, whose young women you are with, a relative? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash and perfume yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. But when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman laid at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your wings over your maidservant, for you are my redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a strong woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the women came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring out the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. The word of the Lord. So uh, when I was in seminary, uh, my homiletics professor said, it's always best to acknowledge any elephants in the room or anything awkward or weird just so that people can all like, okay, he's acknowledged it and we can all move past it. So I'm just doing what I was taught to do. I got braces, and uh, 
So they're just, yep, they're there. And I apologize if, you know, it affects any of the way I enunciate words. I'm going to try really hard to be clear, but just they're there. Okay, so now we're all going to move past it. All right, so one of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride. You guys know this movie? Yeah, so good. So, so good. For those of you that have not seen it, one, get on it. It is a classic, okay? Uh, but the, the way the movie works is that there's this, it's the setup is there's this grandfather, and he's reading a story to his grandson who is homesick in bed. And the story is like this epic saga. There's sword fighting and revenge and pirates and a giant, and it's just, it's so great. Um, but the, really the heart of the story is a romance, between the two main characters, Wesley and Buttercup. And, but every time that the grandfather gets to the part of the story where the Wesley and Buttercup are looking lovingly into each other's eyes, and or they start to kiss, the grandson's like, oh, what, do we have to read this part? Grandpa, is this a kissing book? You know, like, yeah, well, let's get to the good parts. Where are the sports? And, uh, but the, the story progresses, and they get to the end, and over, overcoming all of these odds, Wesley and Buttercup finally escape together, and they can be together forever, and they, they lean in to kiss just this one last time, and suddenly the grandfather stops reading, and the grandson's like, whoa, whoa, whoa why'd you stop? And he goes, oh, it's, it's kissing again. You don't want to hear that part. And the, and the grandson goes, well, maybe I don't mind so much. Now, I love that scene because, I mean, one, it's just cute and funny, but two, I like it because it reminds me of me. I'm kind of like that grandson. I have this very ambivalent, complex relationship with romance and love stories. Because on the one hand, I'm kind of a cynical person. You know, like when the really gushy scene comes up in the movie, I'm kind of like, you know, I roll my eyes at the Hallmark cards at Valentine's Day, you know, just like, oh my gosh, that's not how life really works right? I can be that way, you know, but on the other hand, I kind of like them. They, they touch something inside of me, and I think romance, romance, romantic stories, love stories, they have this way of touching on these really deep, really profound human longings, d- desires that we all have. I think we all deep, deep down long to be caught up in a great love story. We want to have our lover look at us, to see us deeply for who we really are, and to love us passionately, and to pursue us. But here's, and like, let's, let's be honest, okay? Our story this morning, the scene at the threshing floor, it's got a lot of romance. It is, I mean, let's Let's call a spade a spade, guys. There's a lot of sexual tension in this scene, right? I mean, woo, it's getting hot in here. But let's, also, let's continue to be honest with each other, talking about it, opening ourselves up to the desires of love is risky, isn't it? Wherever you find love, you also find risk. And some of you, you've risked in love, and you've been burned. And even talking about opening yourself up to the desires of love and romance just feels like, woo, especially, especially within the context of the church. You've been hurt so bad that you're like, I can see it in your eyes, you're like, uh-uh, I'm preacher. I'm not opening that door, I'm sorry. And I get that. And we're actually going to talk about that in a little bit. 
But for right now, here's what I would ask of you. Our passage invites us to open ourselves up to the desires of love. And if we're willing to risk it, where there is great risk, there is also great reward. There is a reward available to us if we're willing to risk it. Okay? Would you like to see that reward? Well, we're going to do that. We're going to look at our passage this morning, and I'm going to break, just for the sake of clarity, we're going to break it down into three parts. So I want us to see the risk of love, the real romance, and the reward. I know for those of you that like alliteration, you're welcome. The risk of love, the real romance, the reward. All right? So first, we're going to go for the risk. The book of Ruth is filled with risk. It's all over the place. Right? If you guys remember back in chapter 1, the story kicks off, in a, which in the ancient world would have been in a really unusual way, in, in that within a, just a couple of verses, all the men are dead. <laughs> like all the guys are dead, and we're left with a widow, Naomi. And she has been devastated. She has lost everything that her culture would have said gives her value and meaning and purpose. Namely, she has no husband anymore and, her, and no children. And she feels effectively like her life is over. She's completely devastated. And she feels like God is against her, that he's made her his enemy. That's what she says in chapter 1. Right? And she just is like, doesn't know what to do. But for some reason, even though she's like standing in the wreckage of her life with the shattered pieces of her faith just scattered about, she decides to risk going home to seek the Lord's provision back in her hometown of Bethlehem. And unbeknownst to her, God was already providing for her in that she get, he gives her her very stubborn, very tenacious daughter-in-law, Ruth, who binds herself to Naomi with this oath and saying, not even death is going to separate us. Right? And Ruth risks a lot. She leaves. She leaves Moab, her home country, and her family, and her family's gods. And she risks it all to go be with Naomi forever. And they go back to Bethlehem. And Ruth risks even more. She goes out to glean. Remember that a couple weeks ago where it's the, the law that God had where the poorest of the poor had the right to go and collect the leftovers of, of the harvesters. But Ruth decides she's not going to settle for just the leftovers. She's like, no, I'm going to risk going for more than what the law allows. And she asks if she can gather along with the harvesters. A very bold and risky request. But she loves Naomi and wants good for her, and so she asks. And it just so happens in God's providence that she asks in the fields of a man named Boaz. And we find out that Boaz is a godly and upright man who is delighted to reward Ruth's risks. I got a, that's a tongue twister, Ruth's risks. Right? And he generously gives her way, way more food than would have been expected. Well, it was like 30 pounds of food, remember? And so Ruth goes home with this huge bag of food, and Naomi's like, where did you get all that food, girl? And she's like, oh, I was like hanging out with this guy named Boaz. And at the mention of that name, something lights up in the side of Naomi. And she realizes, oh, maybe God hasn't abandoned me after all. Because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer to her husband, Elimelech. And this is another law we talked about, where God allowed to protect widows who were incredibly, incredibly at risk. 
to be marginalized, to be abused, exploited. Okay, so God's, so to protect them, he said, okay, if a man dies, a relative of his can marry the, the dead man's widow and therefore protect her and keep the land in the family name, which was a big deal back then. Okay, and so she realizes that that's the case. Now, here's the thing. Naomi could have just said, you know, we got a good thing going here. Ruth's gleaning. She's clearly a hard worker. We can kind of keep a good thing going. Because if we risk asking for more, we might get kicked out. Things could go bad. So she could have said that. But she decides, you know what? This is, I love Ruth too much. She's worked too hard. She deserves better than to eke out an impoverished existence with me. And so she decides to risk concocting what is a very bold plan. And so she tells Ruth, she says, okay, Ruth, here's what you're going to do. I need you to go take a shower. I need you to put on a little perfume. I need you to put on your best clothes, get your lipstick, get your high heels, and you're going to go down to the threshing floor. Now, if you don't know what that is, in the ancient world, whenever they would process grain, um, what they would do is they would basically take uh, the stalks of grain, and they'd separate out the kernel. That's the part you can eat from all the like papery, grassy outside part. Right? And, the, and usually what would happen is the men would do it, all right, and they'd all get together in a group, and they'd work all day in the hot, hot sun, and they would drink, and they'd kind of have a party because it's harvest time, woohoo, right? And so it was, a, it, was a, it was a place of like there was a lot of sweat, a lot of testosterone, booze flowing, Right? You guys have seen this before. You ever seen like a guy who's like, hey man, I'm going to go build a deck in my backyard. You want to come help me? I got lots of beer. You know, and it just like, you know how we are. Um, <laughs> so that's what's going on. So Naomi suggests, hey Ruth, I want you to go into that dressed like this. Now I'm not a woman, okay? Obviously. Uh, so I'm only guessing here. So ladies, you're going to have to tell me if I'm in the realm of accurate here. But I would imagine that as a woman walking into that situation, you might feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe a little scared, right? Like there are probably a hundred different ways this could go real sideways for Ruth, right? I mean, one, someone could just could have taken advantage of her on the way down there, right? And, we, and do the whole victim blaming thing. Hey, she was asking for it. Look at the way she was dressed, Right? Maybe one of the workers for Boaz, maybe Boaz like passes out because he can't handle his liquor and, they, and one of the workers says, hey, you know what the boss doesn't know won't hurt him. I don't, maybe Boaz is the kind of guy, she, Ruth doesn't know, maybe he's real upright when he's sober, but you get some liquor in him and boy, he turns real nasty real quick. She doesn't know, but she chooses to risk it anyway because she loves Naomi. But she, Ruth risks even more than that. All right, because notice she doesn't quite do what Naomi asks, right? So she goes down to the threshing floor, right? Let's move our slide along here, maybe. We'll get there. All right, so Naomi says, go down there, lie down, and let the man tell you what to do, right? Follow his lead. But that's not quite, quite what Ruth does. What does Ruth do? When, when Boaz wakes up and he's like, whoa, whoa, hey, who are you? She speaks. And she says, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your wings. Which was not, she wasn't being vague, she wasn't being coy. That was an ancient way of talking about marriage. Ruth proposes. So girls, if anybody ever tells you the man should always be the one to propose, just know, that's not biblical, okay? Okay. Um, 
She proposes, which, yes, in that culture would have totally broken norms. Like, this was not normal, okay? Generally, women weren't allowed to have, they weren't even allowed to be a part of the conversation. Men would talk, you know, the families would talk, and then they were like, this is who you're marrying, okay? This was very, very unusual. She blasts all the cultural expectations, and she puts herself out there, risking rejection, abuse, like, who knows what could have happened, but she says, Boaz, I want you to marry me. Whew, she's a bold, risky woman, isn't she? Now, let me be clear. Ruth risks way more than anybody else in this passage. But Boaz does risk something as well. Because he gets, he gets what she's saying. He knows exactly what she means. And he's like, whoa, oh my goodness, that is amazing. Yeah, I, you know, and he, it turns out he's a bit older. His expectation was, man, she's too young for me. She would never go for an old guy like me. This is amazing. Right? He's, he sees in Ruth something amazing, something beautiful within her character, and he's drawn to it. Right? But then suddenly, he throws a big old wet blanket on the romance and goes, okay, now hold on. Yes, I'm a redeemer, but there's this other guy, and he's a closer redeemer than I am, so I'm going to go talk to him, and if he'll marry you, we'll let that happen. But if not, I will definitely redeem you. What's that about, Boaz? Man, that's so unsexy. Come on. Haven't you watched Grey's Anatomy? You're supposed to. This is the moment where the music swells and you lay one on her, big guy. What are you doing? Well, you see, Boaz loves too. He, he sees something beautiful in Ruth and he loves it. And he knows that if he just lets passion overtake him, that what's going to happen is he, it was very likely get caught up in a conflict with this other guy that will not lead to any good for Ruth or Naomi. And so Boaz risks losing the very thing that he desires in order to love Naomi well. So you see, wherever there's love, there is risk. And the greater the love, the greater the risk. And the greater the risk, the greater the reward. So we've seen the risk of love. And now we're going to talk about the romance. And this is the part where we need to really, really slow down. Because as modern people, especially as American evangelicals, we, as you know, just broadly speaking, I'm not saying us individually, but we American evangelicals have really, really misused and misunderstood the book of Ruth. And there have been many, many, many pastors, youth pastors, Bible study leaders who've come to this book and basically said something to the effect of, and usually when we do this, we're talking to young people, and we say, girls, ladies, God's got your Boaz out there waiting for you. But if you want to get him, you have to be like Ruth. You've got to be faithful like Ruth. And usually what they mean by be faithful like Ruth is just don't have sex before you're married. That seems to be the real focus that I find that gets laid on women is like don't, just don't let anybody take a bite of that apple or your husband won't want to take a bite later, right? Um, that tends to be, and the, and the same, but same with the boys. It's like, hey, and boys, be like Boaz because then God will reward you with your Ruth, right? For those of you that have not been around the, the church very much and that's, you've never heard that before, praise God. Uh, for those of you who are like me, who grew up hearing crap like that, let's be very, very clear. That is an idolatrous lie. That is not what the book of Ruth is saying, and there is nowhere in the Bible that promises that if you just abstain from sex before you're married and read your Bible and pray, that God is going to reward you with the romance that you dream about. 
That is a lie. And it, I would even go as far as to say to teach that is spiritual abuse. It is offensive to God because it treats him like a vending machine. Like Santa Claus. Like, oh, if you're just a good little boy or girl, then God is obligated to give you something. But he is not Santa Claus. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. It harms people because it inevitably teaches them that God's best for you is a spouse or children. And that if you don't have a spouse or children, you are somehow less of a person. That something's wrong with you. And some of you, and I'm so sorry, some of you have been sold that lie and then found out later on that it was in fact a lie and you were devastated. And moreover, when we engage with that lie, we completely miss the point of the book of Ruth. Because the real drive of the story of the book of Ruth is not the romance between Ruth and Boaz. It's between God and Naomi. Don't you see? From the very beginning of the book, God has been seeking after her. We, Beverly told us in week two that you know the word in Hebrew for, for widow means one without a voice. Widows were seen as the, you know, their lives are over. Right? And her culture would have looked at her. And they've, they, what, what they would have seen, everyone in her world would have seen a dried up, bitter, angry old crow who had no more use for living. But that's not what God saw. God saw the woman he loved. And he went after her. And his love for her was, took on flesh in the person of Ruth. Who left her homeland who risked everything again and again and again to make sure that God's love made its way into Naomi's life. God never stopped loving her. He never gave up on her. Even when she was angry at him, he saw, he heard. That is the romance. That is what, that's honestly, you know what? That's what turned on Boaz. Did you, did you know that? Because what, what, what does Boaz say? Right? He's like, bless you, child. This ki-, and we translate this word kindness in, in English as kindness, but we know that's not the word kindness. That's not what he's saying. It's our old word, chesed. That, that's God's love. The, the chesed is that Hebrew word that describes, mostly in the Bible, it describes God's love that never gives up, never lets you go, and never lets you down. And Boaz sees that that chesed love is inside of Ruth for Naomi, and he says, I know that love. And it spurs him to love too. Friends, that is the romance of the book of Ruth. That God saw a woman who everyone else would have rejected, and he sought after her to bring her back from a desperate circumstances and to redeem her. That's love. Now we've seen the risk of love and we've seen that the real romance is between God and Naomi. But what about the reward? What's the payout? Well, we're going to see this next week in more in detail. But the book of Ruth, believe it or not, doesn't end with a, with a wedding. There is a wedding, uh, but it doesn't end there. And neither does it end with the birth of Ruth's child, Obed. It ends with a genealogy. 
You see, Obed, Ruth's, Ruth's and Boaz's son, became the father of Jesse, who became the father of the great King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, who brought restoration to the land and revival and defended off all the enemies, right? But then a thousand years after great King David ruled, reigned, and lived, God sent great King David's greater son. And notice he, in that time, he used a woman again, a woman that everybody else would have ignored. Praise God for Mary. But through Mary, God brought about great King David's true son, the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus not only brought some of God's chesed, he is the, the embodiment of God's chesed for us. Jesus Christ did way more for us and can't than Ruth could ever do for Naomi. Jesus Christ left his home country of heaven and he not only risked everything, he lost everything on the cross. His, he was betrayed, he was murdered, he went, was buried in the ground and was swallowed up in death. And why did he go through all of that? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross. What possible joy could Jesus Christ gain by going to the cross that he didn't already have? He's the creator of heaven and earth. What didn't he have already? Us! Friends, don't you see that Jesus Christ loves you so passionately, so much that he was willing to go to hell and back again just to be with you. The lover's gaze that you're longing for can only be found in the one who really does see you for who you are because he made you and who spent his life for you. See, we all long to be caught up in a love story, but don't you see, friends, you already are. What have we been saying this whole time? That you can't separate from what God is doing in the world from what God is doing in your life. That, friends, here's the good news of the book of Ruth, is that even when it feels like God has left you, it, I, look, and I can't make you any promises. You may not ever get married if you, if you, if you not, aren't already. You may not have kids. You may have real tragedy in your life, okay? There, I have no promises like that. I can't. But here's what I can promise you. In the midst, when things look darkest, when they look the most desperate, it is not because God has set himself against you that somehow, in the midst of all of it, God is pursuing you. His chesed love will never let you go. It will never let you down. It will never, ever, ever go away. And there is a day coming. And we looked at this not that long ago in the book of Revelation. There is a day coming when he will come back and it will all make sense, and all the wrongs will be righted. And you know what that day, how that day is described in the book of Revelation? You remember? Jesus is described as the groom, and we are his bride. The romance that you're longing for, that we're all longing for, is the, is the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's the Lord Jesus who gave up his life, Right? for us, to be with us. That's the love that you're longing for. Friends, Jesus Christ, he didn't just risk it all on the cross. He lost it all on the cross because you are his reward. And so I ask you this morning, even if you've been hurt, 
are you willing to open yourself up to loving him in return? Because that is a romance that really is all it's cracked up to be. Let me pray. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your love is so powerful, so tenacious, that nothing we do can stop it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you went, you lost it all on the cross because of us, that we, you made us your reward. Help us change our hearts to let, so that now you become our reward. We can't change ourselves. We can't see unless you open our eyes. So please, Lord, open our eyes. For your sake, for your glory's sake, and for our benefit, we pray these things. Amen.